Welcome back to the Oklahoma Week version of Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, Tim Bielek, your Ohio State coverage team for Cleveland.com. Listen to this podcast on iTunes and a bunch of other places. Read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. Let's get to this huge game. We talked to you guys last in the immediate aftermath of the 49-21 win on Thursday night at Indiana. We'll start this real quick, and then we have a bunch of really good questions from you guys. You can always tweet us at Tim Bielek. T-I-M-B-I-E-L-I-K, at Bill Landis 25, at Doug Marie. Send us your questions. Bill Landis, start with you. Watching Indiana, compared to where you were at the start of the season, and watching Indiana and what you watched of Oklahoma UTEP, do you give Ohio State a better chance to beat Oklahoma now compared to before the season, or a worse chance to beat Oklahoma now compared to where you were before the start of the season? Uh, probably slightly worse, and we did, we did the the we do our percentage chances of Ohio State beating its opponents um, before the season. I think we had Oklahoma with a forty three percent chance to win this game, and I would probably go a little higher than that, closer to fifty fifty, um, <clears throat> because Ohio State's offense was not what I thought it, w- it would be, and I think. I don't like making like sweeping conclusions off one game. I don't think what, anybody what, should wait, do that. Wait, wait, Listen, if but, you're not going to make sweeping conclusions <laughs> off one game, get off this podcast. Having rewatched the Indiana game, I don't feel as bad about Ohio State's passing game as I did immediately after Thursday night. That said, um, a large reason why Ohio State beat Oklahoma last year is because they had one receiver who Oklahoma couldn't cover. I don't know if Ohio State has that, especially a guy who can go up and win like 50-50 jump balls the way Noah Brown did with four touchdowns in that game last year. Um, they still have receiver problems. So because the receiver problems are more glaring than I thought they'd be at this point, my percentage of Ohio State losing has gone up just a tad. Tim Bielek? It's a, it may be a cop-out, but I really it may be a cop-out, but I really don't think it makes has made too much of a difference in my mind because it is a cop-out, by the way. Yeah, it is a cop-out. Well, cop-out. to be fair, also, I mean, what can we learn from Oklahoma playing UTEP? I'm Indiana will probably beat UTEP by multiple touchdowns if those teams were to meet. And when I, you know, look at what Ohio State did, yeah, there are obviously some glaring problems that still need to be cleared up, but there were also some signs that maybe we're starting to learn a bit what this Kevin Wilson offense is. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, week one, you're kind of putting some pieces together that look like something. By week five, week six, we'll know more. And I think we saw a couple signs. Oklahoma, I don't know how much we could take away from a game where, you know, the starters only played a half of football. You know, can I say something here? Mm -hmm. I hate jigsaw puzzles. Yeah. Do you guys find doing jigsaw puzzles, like, relaxing? No, they're awful. Tim, if you have a giant jigsaw puzzle at your new house... You're also kicked off this podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I don't do jigsaw puzzles. I ha- I do Sudoku though on my phone, but that's not better. That's better. I hate jigsaw puzzles and ranch dressing. Oh, that people. If, if I there was a, a commercial a while ago where it was, I think for a ranch dressing commercial, and they were like doing a jigsaw puzzle during it, and I said that literally is my hell <laughs> when I go down. When this is all over for me, for being the the terrible, horrible, angry person that I am, when I get there, it's not going to be fiery pits and demons. It's going to be jigsaw puzzles and ranch dressing. I hate ranch dressing. Can we do a one-minute detour on ranch dressing, Bill Landis? I will say that I used to basically put ranch dressing on everything, and um, I'm not that way so much anymore. I like it. I think it's good. It is no longer my go-to salad dressing of choice. I know... We could talk for 45 minutes about how you don't like salad dressing at all, and I think that's psychopath stuff. 
Um, but I'll buy that ranch dressing might be a little bit overrated. Yeah, because there are some people. My yeah. sister in law. If you open the refrigerator, her whole refrigerator is ranch dressing. That's all there is. Yeah, people love it. Again, Tim Bielek, if you have 10 bottles of ranch dressing in your new apartment, the next podcast we're recording in your apartment, by the way, so I can get a lay of the land of Tim Bielek's life (laughs) and whether I can actually be around you. Because I'm worried now. Tell me how much ranch dressing is in your house right now. We maybe have half a bottle. All right. Although my my fiance is more into ranch than me. We went last time I went to Giordano, she actually. Dipped her. We have they have <laughs> dipping sauces you can get for your crust. She uses ranch for hers. So I respect that. And I just saw this in my town. There is a new store opening, and the store is like a vinaigrette salad dressing store, and olive oil, and a whole store. How can you have a whole store of that? What What's in there? Salad dressing. In a whole store. I mean, how many different kinds of olive oil are there? Uh, I, I thought there were just one. <laughs> olive oil. Yeah, olive oil. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You guys have some really good questions this week. That's not the rant I would. I said I, I promised to rant on this podcast, and I'm going to rant really quickly here. Please, we, people of Buckeye Nation, I think you're still divided on this. It's, there's so many divisions and little pockets in the JT Barrow world. It's sort of like how there's two main political parties, but there's other parties as well that get some percent of the vote that can have an effect on things. There's not just like sort of believe in JT and not believe in JT. There's all these little pockets around it. We must be able to critically analyze JT Barrett and the passing game in their wins Mm -hmm. because we did it last season and we saw that, yes, that was worth doing because they played a lot of close games in the second half of the year because of their passing game and they got shut out by Clemson in the playoff because of their passing game. It is not a win is a win. Tom Allen, the Indiana coach, talking about strategy post-game and saying, we game planned this way, we didn't rush a lot of people, we dropped eight, that's what you do with an inaccurate quarterback, is not an insult of JT Barrett. It is a strategic explanation by a, by a coach who's just saying how they view the opposition. JT Barrett won, he threw for 304 yards, His feelings aren't hurt. He's fine. We don't have to rise up and act like Tom Allen is attacking Ohio State when we know there is absolute truth to that. He's not criticizing him. He's explaining how opposing defenses view JT Barrett. And again, we've said it a million times. There are many other things a quarterback does in the Urban Meyer system. It does not mean he's a terrible quarterback. It means he is not terribly accurate throwing the ball and there are other things you defend against first with this Ohio State offense and if JT Barrett ever gets out there and zips passes around the field and throws with authority and accuracy they are going to be unstoppable and they're going to be the best team in the country so can we not get get like everyone's at everyone's oh Jay how dare you say he's 27 and 4 we have to be able to get beyond 27 and 4 that's been proven it's like it's not even worth debating anymore of whether like a win is a win. It's good enough. What are you criticizing? We're, we're trying to figure out if we're looking at 31 nothing again. Right. The Clemson band threw it in your face, brother. <laughs> Do you? Was that what you want? You want the ba- opposing band in 2018 spelling out the score of how Ohio State didn't do anything in the playoff because they still couldn't throw? We have to be able to do this rationally as we examine this team over the course of the season. So, I'm out of breath. <laughs> that was a good rant. It makes me, it just perturbed me because it's like we're past it. It's been proven that it, yeah. it's a discussion yeah. worth having. 
Absolutely. Last year it was like, well, maybe, I don't know. Well, maybe, oh, 31 nothing. Okay, yeah, it was worth having. So, Bill Landis, tell me this, because I have not yet watched it as closely as you watched it. Tell me why you watched that game, and then we're going to get to more questions. Tell me why you rewatched Ohio State-Indiana, and you don't feel as bad about the passing game on the second watch as you did initially after the game. I actually don't think JT Barrett was all that inaccurate in that game. I, th- I think... Okay, go ahead with that, and then I'm going to jump in with another rant. Go ahead. His deep ball remains inaccurate. Like That's a fact, and it was, it was on display against, against Indiana. He dropped the Paris Campbell ball in a bucket and should have been caught. He missed Marcus Ball. The pass interference play uh, to Ben Victor, so JT Barrett singled out three plays. It was the drop by Campbell, the one he missed on ball, and the pass interference to Ben Victor. The pass interference to Ben Victor, if if it had not been called, could have very likely been an interception because it was a poorly thrown ball. Um, And it reminded me of the Devin Smith play from 14 where Devin Smith is running towards the sideline and JT Barrett threw the ball to the sideline and took Devin Smith away from who was covering him and any safety that could have been there. This ball to Victor was on the inside and took Victor back toward the safety. It basically took him back into double coverage. Um, so the deep ball remains inaccurate, but I just think that's like a byproduct of JT Barrett's arm strength. I, I I don't know how much of it is just inaccuracy and how much of it is like there's a limit to how far he can just push the ball down the field, and then when he gets past that limit, the ball's a little off target. Um, but outside of that, I thought like the, the, the crossing route concepts and the mesh stuff um, that Kevin Wilson has put into this offense where it's a lot of rub routes and it's getting guys open in space. JT Barrett did what he had to do on those plays by hitting guys in stride and putting them in position to run after the catch, which in my opinion was just as much of a problem for them last year as not hitting the deep passes down the field. Tim Bielek, you're working on our JT Barrett passing chart, which we will continue to do every week this year. In charting that, what, what did you find? We're going to have this up Wednesday at Cleveland.com so people can go investigate this. But what have you discovered in, in breaking down the 35 passes he threw? Well, when I look at the 35 passes he threw, Bill just said it, the deep ball inaccurate. He didn't complete anything further than 19 yards. As long, he had a, but how many did he throw? He only threw like four, he had, right? I, he, th- he threw, I believe, six or seven. I don't ding, have ding, the ding. exact number off time ahead. He did throw about seven, so I'd say 20% of what he did throw, including the pass interference was a deep ball. So, I mean, the the percentage a little bit there. The longest throw he completed, though, was that fir- that first third down, that 18-yard on the wheel route to J.K. Dobbins. And most of what he threw was short. And, again, crossing routes, rub routes, I'll, ha- I'll add stuff in there that you'll see about how important the yards after catch were, especially on a lot of those double-digit plays where those were short five-yarders that guys took for a lot longer. But... Stuff short, middle, to his left. He really didn't complete much to his right outside of, you know, short dump-offs, short of the line of scrimmage, or behind it. So, about kind of what we expected, you know, going in. It's not what I expected. Well, I mean, it's as far as we know what JT Bear's limitations are. Yeah. This is, again, piece of the puzzle. This I meant Don't to- say puzzle. Don't, say, puzzle, Don't say. It's like you said. It's like... Uh, it's like you get a carrot ready and you put it in the dip. I mean, this is how it is. No comparisons to puzzles, no comparisons to dips. All right, well, what I'm saying is is the mystery of what the Kevin Wilson Ohio State offense is. We got like a little bit of a glimpse of it, and that's maximizing what Barrett can do, and that's be accurate in short situations and trying to for, trying to get him to hit guys in stride. We saw that multiple times. Maybe that's a key component of this offense as we're going to see in the next couple of weeks what else uh, gets added into it. 
I went to a Harry Potter murder mystery uh, over the, in the spring where like you went and stayed in a hotel and there was like, you know, the other guests were like trying to murder you and stuff. So mystery is a good uh, comparison for me because I enjoy, would you guys enjoy like a good weekend murder mystery? Yeah. 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 It'd be fun. I've always want, also want to try those escape rooms. Oh, I've done, yeah. The breakout rooms. Yeah. There's a bunch of them in Columbus. They scare me. Don't be scared. Have you done it? You haven't done it yet? I haven't done it in person. They have, like, computer games like that, so I've tried those a few times. Does this sound like we're going to organize a breakout room trip with our loyal Buckeye Talk listeners and yeah. us trying to solve a mystery and break out of a room? Yeah. Oh, it sounds like that. We're going to leave Doug DeLillo in the room. <laughs> Chase Richardson and Gene Neely will get us out, though. Um, okay, here's the thing that I think Tom Allen meant. And again, if you're criticizing Tom Allen, just, like, just relax. Can people please relax a little bit? It's not high school. It's okay. He didn't rip him. He talked about stuff. And by the way, anyone who thought I was mean to Brock Osweiler, are you <laughs> joking? He's getting $16 million. He can cry his, dry his tears with his money in Denver. It's okay to be critical, okay? I think it's about... It's the throws they don't think he can make, and it's the throws that he doesn't try, that they're, that they're not even worried about, because we're going to play you this way, because we don't think you're necessarily even going to try to do some of this stuff. Now, they're not worried about, Indiana's not worried about guys running past their defenders deep, and JT Barrett making you pay for that. They're not. Now, if JT Barrett, and again... We know he threw a perfect deep ball to Paris Campbell, and Paris Campbell dropped it. He had another third down th- – I think it was a second down throw. That would have been a first down to Johnny Dixon, like a 12 or 13-yard mm-hmm. throw. Johnny Dixon dropped it. We get that. Campbell okay. dropped another one too. Guys yeah. drop stuff. I mean, it's not, it's not just JT Barrett. But true or false, when we watched college football over the weekend, and you watched throws – and again, I'm not saying – I'm trying to thread the needle on nuance here. I'm not saying these quarterbacks are better than JT Barrett. I'm analyzing one part of their game compared to this part of JT Barrett's game that we're talking about because they may need JT Barrett to be very good in everything if they want to win the national championship. When you watched Michigan, when you watched West Virginia, when you watched, you know, it's not just Baker Mayfield. It's like just like decent quarterbacks. You saw guys regularly making throws 15 to 18 yards down the field over the linebackers in front of the safeties, in windows down the seam, on comeback routes on the, on the sideline with timing. And you just watched that and you thought to yourself, boy, we just don't see those throws in this offense. Did you not think that? Yeah, I thought that. Okay, and they win without it. They mm-hmm. win. They win. I get it. They're 62-6 and six under Urban Meyer. We are talking super high bar, super high threshold. But when I talk about this stuff, that's what I'm talking about. There are throws in the game plan to be made that they don't make. And I didn't watch the entire game yet. I was slow motioning through a couple plays in the first half. There's a play on third down where JT Barrett got flushed to the sideline. And there is a receiver on the sideline at the stick turned around looking at him, and JT didn't throw it, hesitated, ran two more steps, and threw it out of bounds. There was at least one other throw where he didn't, you watch them run the routes, and you watch guys hit the top of their route and get ready to turn around, and you think, there it is. And he doesn't throw it. Well, that's, 
and I don't mean to cut your point off. I, that is the the thing that stuck out most to me with the Indiana game is like the things that they said they were going to do that they were better at. They didn't do. They didn't push the ball vertically down the field. And JT Barrett has said all said all camp. The change in my game is that if I see it, I'm going to let it rip. If I don't see it, I'm going to pull it down and run. And he did not play that way. And that was like my biggest takeaway from that is that you said you're going to change as a quarterback, and then when the game started, you were basically the same guy you were last year. And it's it seemed like maybe he's he was like he was gun shy a little bit in time. He I mean, always has been. He always well, has. Been. I wonder how much of the case is like you know Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day are trying to coach out the last two years of Tim Beck because there's two years worth of bad habits that he learned. <laughs> Shake the Beck out of him. Yeah, it it doesn't happen overnight. That's what I'm thinking as that first half's going on. He's like, maybe this isn't an overnight thing. This is a thing that has to take time. For him to get those things out of him and get new habits into what JT Barrett does in game situations. Was he, because you watched him more closely than I did. I watched the defensive line more than I watched anything. You watched every one of his throws. Did he look different in the second half than he did in the first half? Like more decisive? I I think so a little bit. Especially he trusted that, you know, guys like Harris were going to be in that space. I think when he settled down, I think honestly... The long throw he hit to Paris Campbell that Campbell dropped seemed like from there on he got better. Hmm. Like he picked it up from there. I think it was something like he completed eight straight passes at that point. Three were touchdowns. So I think that play honestly settled him down a little bit. And it's it's odd to talk about a drop as JT Barrett's best throw of the game. But in a way it was. That's happened before. <laughs> yeah. He's lived in that world. So listen. So here I just think, I think, and we'll get into the game now. I think Oklahoma's going to put up some points. I think Baker Mayfield looked good. I think there's enough questions about the Ohio State secondary. I think Oklahoma's offensive line is good enough that Ohio State's defensive line isn't just going to run completely wild. I think Oklahoma will be able to do some things. And again, if we think about this, and we, we, we try to give credit when credit is due, right? I mean, JT, you're saying, Bill, how Ohio State had a receiver last year that Oklahoma couldn't cover. And what did JT Barrett do? He went to him in the red zone and made big plays. And Noah Brown only had five catches in that game, right? But four were for touchdowns. So he took advantage of something, right? And he did. They weren't perfect throws. They weren't wide open things. They were, he gave Noah Brown a chance. So to some degree, he needs to do what he did against Oklahoma again. And it's just, we didn't see a ton of that after Oklahoma a year ago. Um, but I do think I do think he's going to need to make more of those throws. And like if you, Indiana had a strategy, and Indiana's strategy worked to a degree. But as you've said, Bill, and as we all know this, Indiana's not a great defense, not great. And we're not saying Oklahoma has a great defense either. Either. But when you watch the touchdown to Paris Campbell, and he just floats across the middle of the field past one linebacker, like nobody puts a nobody puts a hand on him, past another linebacker, JT Barrett has the time to watch him float wait for him to clear two guys, and then boom and go, that's bad. Like, you can't – I know it's a zone, and I know that you're trying to be aware of Paris Campbell and stuff, yeah. but, like, they're worried about – Tom Allen said that too. You're worried about the speed. Mm-hmm. So you're trying – so, okay, let's not do that. Let's try to be a little more aware of Paris Campbell there. And I know they're running other routes to pull guys off and open up – that area for Campbell, and then he literally caught it three yards from the line. It's a 74-yard touchdown. Three in the air, 71 with his feet. That's really good. They're going to be dangerous that way. Yeah. 
I don't know that you can like say for sure that like you're going to get a 74 yard touchdown every week. That's going to be 71 yards running it. But Oklahoma has to be aware of that and stop that a little better. And I think that was an easy, I mean, that's an easy throw. Yes. He hit him in stride. It was a, it was three yards from the line of scrimmage. Right. I mean, if the linebacker has a little better coverage, it's a four yard gain, not a 74 yard gain. So that play is good design. It's something we didn't see as much last year, right? Credit to Ryan Day, credit to uh, Kevin Wilson, credit to Paris Campbell, credit to the block to Terry McLaurin on the edge, which he held and helped spring Paris Campbell. And yes, credit to JT Barrett. Someone's got to make that th- that three-yard throw. I get that. But on the list of things, I mean, that was easy for him. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to do some things against Oklahoma, I think, that aren't easy, right? Isn't he going to have to make some throws that aren't easy? Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of the throws he made to Noah Brown were easy. Some of the throws he made to Noah Brown last year were, I thought, similar to the throws that Richard Lago was making against Ohio State's defense, which are a lot of like comeback timing, throw to the back shoulder, let your guy win a one-on-one battle for the ball. Um, I don't know if uh, Oklahoma's secondary it, – it might actually be on par with Indiana's. Indiana's secondary is pretty good. In the, in, in the end, like by the end of this Big Ten season, if Indiana ends up with like a top-four secondary in the Big Ten, that wouldn't surprise me. I think they are good. I think Indiana's defensive line kind of stinks, um, and that helped too. Um, but, yeah, it's not – Oklahoma has been preparing for Ohio State since um, January, and they've been watching Kevin Wilson tape since Kevin Wilson got hired. They're going to know or be prepared for a lot of the things that Kevin Wilson's going to throw at them, and especially the things that were most successful for Ohio State against Indiana. So it's not going to be the easy pitch and catch the Paris Campbell for seventy four yards and a touchdown. That might happen because it's a it's a major part of the offense now. I think we can we can be certain of that. But yeah, JT Barrett's going to have to make some some higher level throws. I think against Oklahoma secondary. All right, let's go to some questions. This is Lil Buck Lil Buck fifty five, who's changed his name to Beat Oklahoma this week. Nice. Lil Buck says, "Will our secondary be an issue against Oklahoma?" So I pulled out um, the depth chart for Oklahoma. And here are the heights for Baker Mayfield's pass catchers. 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", 6'5", 6'3", 6'2", 6'5", 6'5", They're big dudes. And that was a problem against Indiana. Like, Ohio State does not have very big corners. Um, I'd be a little worried about Ohio State's pass coverage against Oklahoma, in particular how they're going to cover Mark Andrews, because... Mark Andrews is their tight end, who's basically just a slot receiver, and he's a six foot five monster. And last year, if, they, if this game was played at the end of last year, Garyon Conley would have, been, would have been the one covering him, right? We feel pretty certain about that. Yeah, I put this in my notes on my phone for talk about this on the podcast. So really? yes, yeah, remember we were saying McDonald's, we we're talking about covering the slot. What should they do? And he's the slot, and he's the like who I don't know who covers him. I don't no no one flashed against Indiana and it was one game but no one flashed against Indiana and we think oh that's the guy they're going to put on Mark Andrews. Tim Bielek, secondary coach, who do you do? Um well, when I I mean we all know Damon Arnett and Kendall Sheffield did not really have great games against Indiana and I mean that's not to say that's on that's not to say that's not unexpected because their guys, you know, their first real game in massive roles. So Damon Arnett was a starter at Nickel last year. That was not that, that excuse. I think does not hold water for Damon Arnett. Right, but I mean he's going. But Sheffield also, you know, I mean this is a JUCO guy didn't really play at Alabama. You know this, that was his first real taste of FBS. Those are two inexperienced guys, and those are guys I can imagine 
Oklahoma really targeting because of their inexperience, and they probably saw a lot of what Indiana did, you know, and they'll want to target that. And Andrews, I feel like, is a guy that, you know, Ohio State's going to try and scheme up whatever they can do, especially helping out with linebackers and safeties to help out in pass coverage. So I think some of the responsibilities for Andrews is actually not just going to be on the corners. It's going to be on guys like Damon Webb and Jordan Fuller and, you know, their linebackers and pass coverage to be aware of where Andrews is at any time on the field. So that that's going to be a more of a team effort than just, you know, covering these receivers. It could almost be a thing of Ohio State telling Oklahoma, we'll take away Mark Andrews. If you beat us with any of your other receivers and our defensive line, so be it. Yeah, but how do you, I, my question is how do you take him away? Okay, I have two options. I, have, I also have a prediction. Okay. I'll give my two options, and you can see if my, one of the options is your prediction. I think it probably will be. Okay. One option is Jerome Baker, tight end, away taker. <laughs> S- six-one, athletic. He's a great player. We know he's a great player. He showed out in Oklahoma last year and then went on to have a great season. Um, you can stay possibly – I think you can try to stay in base and see if Jerome ba- – Jerome Baker was in coverage a lot early last week too mm-hmm. and see if Jerome Baker can, do, can deal with this guy. I think that's an option. I think the other option is uh, Damon Arnett has been the – as Bill said, was the slot corner the first half of last year and it kind of didn't work. Kerry right. Combs has talked about that Damon Arnett likes to talk. Damon Arnett has swag. Damon Arnett thinks he's great and likes to tell everyone about it. So if I'm Kerry Combs, I'm putting Mark Andrews' film up every day. I'm putting a poster of Mark Andrews over Damon Arnett's bed. And I'm telling Damon Arnett, you like to talk? You think you're great, Damon? You think you're the man? Prove it. Prove it. Everybody thinks that you're all talk and no action. You got your first start last week, and what did you do? Urban Meyer said the pass defense was awful. That's what you're going to walk around with, Damon Arnett? Mark Andrews lived with Mark Andrews this week. Challenge Damon Arnett to be great. Go get it, Kerry. Can I make it? We'll go to Kinko's right now. Make a poster yeah. and put it over yeah. his bed. <laughs> Bill, what's your, is, is that one of your solutions, or do you have an alternate solution? Is your alternate solution Jordan Fuller? My alternate solution is Jeffrey Okuda. What? Wait, 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 wait. I like to use questions. At GTE812, whose name is Goon, GTE812 on Twitter. Although the secondary got exposed, I saw flashes of really good play by all three cornerback starters. Do you think Okuda will get rotated in now? Go Bill Landis. I think... Urban Meyer said after the Indiana game that he, obviously he was not happy, and but that doesn't mean they're going to. I forget the words he said exactly, but essentially he said like we're not going to, you know, go away from guys. We're going to stick with who we have. I think that might have been a lie. Um, true freshman. Yeah, your answer is a true freshman. My answer is someone different. I don't know if Jeffrey Okuda is going to be any better, but in their their nickel package and the way they covered the slot receiver is to put Damon Arnett in the slot and bring Kendall Sheffield on which to make sense yeah we've seen I feel like we've seen enough of Damon Arnett in the slot to think that maybe it's not going to work Jeff Okuda is 6'1 Arnett is six foot. yeah and I, it's a good difference of one inch what was the height that Urban Meyer threw out when we were, when we were talking to him on Monday 6'1 yeah 6'1 6'1 is like I mean if you get a 6'4 one obviously that'd be great but um 
I don't know. It, and maybe it's a crazy prediction to make. I think you might see Jeff Okuda come on the field. And I don't know if we'll play in the slot, but maybe he'll be the outside guy with Denzel Ward and Sheffield, who's a pretty physical corner himself, might get a shot to play slot over Damon Arnett. They're not in a position, I think, to like hope that the corner rotation they have works. It didn't work great against Indiana, and if it doesn't work great against Oklahoma, they're going to lose, and they don't want to lose. So I think they make a change at corner. Maybe maybe Arnett gets a shot to start, and they'll do what they do did against Indiana, and then if it goes poorly, something something's changing, and I think Okuda might rotate in more than he did against Indiana. Are they a nickel most of the time, or do you take a shot with with keeping three linebackers on the field and seeing if Baker or Booker or Malik Harrison can cover that that tight end? I think they'll be in nickel a lot. I think they'll be in nickel a lot. Um, unless they want to go with a five defensive lineman, then maybe not. But I don't. I don't know how much they're there. If, if Oklahoma's game plan is going to be to, to throw it around on Ohio State because they saw the weakness against Indiana, I don't think you're going to see Ohio State in base defense a whole lot. And I think part of the game plan also you have to figure out who's going to spy Baker because I mean that might be the equi- part of the equation we don't know. Is I mean we're talking about pass coverage. You got to worry about the number one thing is Baker running around like a crazy person. You got to have someone to corral that and dissuade him from thinking, you know, I can suddenly take off and go for 20 yards. And if you have that guy, whether it be Booker or Worley or somebody that, like, at least has an eye on Baker the whole time, you know, you can't forget about him because if you forget about him, that's when the that's when the ad-lib stuff happens. That's when Ohio State can get caught and covered for seven, eight seconds, which no one can really do. I have a point I want to make about Baker Mayfield, but give me a second. Let me throw in a question real quick. At Ben Blanco on Twitter, B-I-N-B-L-A-N-C-O. Do you think we'll see more of a zone scheme this week instead of all the blitzing? Um, and that gets to Baker Mayfield a little bit. How much would you would you blitz Baker Mayfield? How much would you drop guys against Baker Mayfield? They're not going to go away from press man, although Greg Schiano was saying they backed off a little bit um, in the second half. I mean, they're not. They're, I don't. They're not going to do. I don't think that's in the game plan for them to say. We're just going to drop into a zone, drop eight into a zone and not pressure as much. I think you have to get after him. Um, and I think, I mean, you don't have to blitz a ton when you have those guys up front you have. Um, but, and Tim was talking about this when we were at, at interviews. It's like you have to have discipline in your rush. I mean, like mm-hmm. that was all these guys over time. I mean, that's the thing with, with younger uh, defensive linemen, that's always a thing they talk about. I mean, and every guy, when they get older, they get older, then they say, oh, when I was younger, I wasn't as disciplined. I was just trying to get a sack. I gave up. I lost contain. I gave up the edge and stuff. Um, they have veteran guys here. You know, the only guy is, is Nick Bosa, who's not not a super veteran, but Hubbard and Lewis and, and Holmes uh, are has been, have been around as long as any defensive ends in the country. So they have to pressure him because I think if you sit back, that's the difference. If you wouldn't pressure Baker Mayfield. I think he would zip throws into windows. Ah, Bill's tilting his head like doggo. You're yeah. taking on the attributes of your 11-pound dog. I am. Um, more so than JT Barrett, but also he's going to make a lot of his plays on broken plays and make stuff out of nothing. So you, okay, you're going to drop eight. You're dropping eight? I'm dropping eight. I'm not really? spying him. I'm not blitzing him. I'm keeping the short quarterback in the pocket and making him make throws against coverage. Because he'll try to make them. Can he, he make them? I, he might make some, but he also might throw you a pick or two. And I don't like. I don't think you spy Baker. Baker Mayfield is a great athlete, a quarterback who does run around like a crazy person in the backfield. I would not categorize him as a running quarterback. He doesn't want to run. He wants to scramble to throw. Right. His high, the most rushing yards he's ever had in a game in his career is eighty-five. He's not. 
JT Barrett, he's not pull it down and take it off. He doesn't even run the read option all that much. Um, he wants to run around and make you cover guys for 10 seconds, and then when you get tired, he's going to throw one over your head, and they're going to score a touchdown. Um, but I thought what Greg Schiano said on Monday was a little revealing, and it's not something I thought about in relation to Baker Mayfield's size. It's that they moved, they designed to move him around to a spot outside of the tackle box so that Baker Mayfield can see down the field. Keep him in the pocket, make him deliver the ball over his gigantic offensive line. They're all like 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", and then Ohio State's pass rushers get in his face. And then you just drop everybody else and make them make throws. I want to get in a quick one here um, for Tim Bielek from the Jordan Steele. I want to dip back into the Ohio State offense real quick, and then we'll get back to other things. We're just taking all your questions to talk about this game. Uh, Timmy B., were you surprised now that Paris Campbell, is a, now that he's a full-time H-back, that he didn't take any snaps from the backfield? No pop pass, no sweep, no zone read for Paris Campbell. They did try to run it once with K.J. Hill, the backup H-back. But, Tim, did you think that Paris might be more involved in the run game? I think he w- I think he probably should have been. I think he will be now as time goes on because Kevin Wilson is going to figure out as game goes on, games go on, who Paris Campbell really is. He's As we talked about, he's not necessarily that guy who's going to run 50 yards down the field and catch that deep ball like he dropped against Indiana. He's giving that guy who turns a two-yard catch into a 22-yard gain. You know, he's that guy you just find a way to get in the football, you know, in quick situations, jet sweeps, uh, you know, pitches outside, screen passes. He's that guy you get the ball to in short, and he can just explode and get a big gain out of it. All right, we'll take a quick break here on Buckeye Talk and come back with more of your questions as we get ready for Ohio State, Oklahoma on Saturday night. Let's remember there are always people out there in the world that need us, so with each holiday or birthday or anniversary, instead of doing the usual and giving flowers or attire, whatever you give people, why not give the gift of food? All right, The gift of food is something that can make you feel good and that can help people in the greater Cleveland area. And you can do that through the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. You make a tribute gift in the name of a friend or a relative, and it shows that friend and relative how much you care about them by caring about other people. And you're going to fight hunger in Northeast Ohio. The food bank's going to send you an e-card, and that's going to let your loved one know of your kindness and their kindness in helping out someone else. doesn't need to be a huge donation. Ten bucks, twenty bucks, five bucks, everything helps. Because every single dollar can provide four meals to someone who really needs it. Every year. This is what the food bank does, right? Last year, they gave 50 million meals to people in Northeast Ohio. Think about that. Wouldn't you like to be part of that? Wouldn't you like to have someone you love be part of that? If you want to do that, if you want to do something different, make a gift for someone's special day, go right now and visit greaterclevelandfoodbank.org. All right, we're back to your questions here on Buckeye Talk. Uh, Timmy B had to head out, um, but Bill Landis and I are still here. We still have a bunch of things from you, you guys to talk about. Let's get back more again into the Ohio State offense um, beyond JT Barrett because the Mike Weber, J.K. Dobbins stuff is fascinating, and we've we've done videos about that. We've talked about it, but here's a question from my main man, Andrew Ardle. He is uh, a member of Generation Z. When we asked you guys the other week, what generation are, are you a part of that you listen to Buckeye Talk? Generation X won. More Generation X than Millennials, which means I am, I am the man. 
I am the man for Generation X. Yeah. And I'm here for you. I'm Generation X, right? No. I'm not? You're a millennial. Aren't you a millennial? Are we six? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm a millennial. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Generation X, your formative years were in the 90s, right? Yeah, yeah, you wish you were Generation X. I do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's the, what's the, yes, I was the, oh, Reality Bites. Have you seen Reality Bites? I have seen Reality Bites, yeah. yeah. and you watched that and you thought, God, that was awesome. Yeah. If only I could have been alive. You were three years old when Reality <laughs> Bites came out. You're not in Generation X. But Andrew Ardle, I did a poll on Twitter, what generation are you part of? Like, uh, Baby Boomer, Generation X, Millennial, or are you a child? <laughs> and the people who are younger than Generation X were like, well, I'm not a child. <laughs> so Andrew Ardle is in high school, and I said, send us a question, Andrew Ardle. We appreciate you listening to Buckeye Talk. You're our guy. So this is for Andrew Ardle, who on Twitter is at Andrew Ardle. Do you think it's possible that Dobbins and Weber both rush for 100 yards against Oklahoma? Uh, Yeah. yeah Absolutely. Yeah, I do. My answer. I, think, I think that's like possible and kind of likely in a lot of games Ohio State plays. You know what I was thinking about the other day? In regards to Weber and Dobbins playing together, what was your favorite play last year that Ohio State ran? Don't talk about that. Well, no. Well, so here's the So it's yeah, JT Barrett in the backfield, flanked by Curtis Samuel and Mike Weber. But who's getting the ball every time? If they're running the ball out of that formation, who's getting the ball every time? Right now? No, no, no. Last year when they ran that play. Last year when they ran that play, Curtis Samuel's getting the ball. Curtis Samuel was never going to be the lead blocker for no, Mike Weber. No, no. Now when they line up in that formation, who's getting the ball? Well... You tell me what you think. I think you don't know, and I think that helps Ohio State. I'm not sure J.K. Dobbins can block like they need him to. Didn't when they ran that play one time oh, against yeah, no, Indiana? He, yeah. They had they had Dobbins and K.J. Hill in the backfield, and Dobbins missed his block. He did. Did he not? And K.J. Hill got tackled. He did, but I, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a fair point. But I, I think Dobbins can block size wise. He's the same size as Mike Weber. No, that's what I mean. But yeah. I just mean like true freshman wise. It's almost like one of those things where. Mike Weber gets punished in that situation by being a competent, well-rounded running back. Yeah. <laughs> right? That it's like, well, are like, because to me in that situation, because like one thing about Ezekiel Elliott, Ezekiel Elliott, and again, there are some things that Urban Meyer loves to say over and over again. One of them is that Evan Spencer is a great blocker as a receiver. Another one is that Ezekiel Elliott is a great blocker as a running back. Ezekiel Elliott was a great lead blocker for JT Barrett. They didn't do it with a second tailback in the backfield, but they did it with a quarterback keeper here we go, Zeke. I'm following you. That's really effective because they don't. I mean, obviously, if you asked Urban Meyer to employ a fullback, he'd rather play with six players than put a fullback on the field. Yeah. But a lead blocker, like you don't. They don't do that. So when you do it every now and then, right? Really good. So the play we're talking about, the favorite play last year was Mike Weber as a lead blocker for Curtis Samuel against Michigan. Pop, boom, gone. Touchdown. Penn State, too. It was like a 70 Oh, no, yard. it was Penn State. They ran it against Michigan, too. They, but Penn was State like... was the one that popped, right? Right, 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 right. Sorry. But it was huge. And that's on the table. Um, Do you agree that it is... Last year when they lined up, that form, lined up in that formation, they were running the ball. They were telegraphing Curtis Samuel was getting the ball. Do you believe that is less so now if it's both those guys? Yes. Okay. I agree with the telegraph. I agree it's less so. But I agree. But I think they'd give it to J.K. Dobbins more often than not because of Mike Weber's competence as a lead blocker in that situation. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we'll get some, some more. Listen, we want to get into Weber and Dobbins. How do you think Mike Weber's handling this? Again, we have to preface everything by saying we don't really know these guys. We talk to them for little snippets. They Some guys reveal their real personalities. Some guys, some guys try to hide it. Um, no one's ever going to say what they really think. But from the Mike Weber that we talked to in interviews, how do you think he's handling this? 
Um, I think maybe okay now because in the end, at the end of the day, he was hurt, and that's what kept him from playing against Indiana. He is, excuse me, he's a guy who, without directly saying it, has said multiple times last year and even in camp this year that he wish he would have gotten the ball more. So I'm curious how it will work now that there is another competent running back in the backfield with him. That's not Curtis Samuel, who was like a specialty running back, is like a real guy who demands carries the same way that you do, if not more so. Um, I w- but I would think that at the moment he's probably handling it okay. He's probably not super happy that everyone in the world thinks J.K. Dobbins is better than him now. But if against Oklahoma, J.K. Dobbins runs the ball 21 times and Mike Weber runs the ball seven times and Mike Weber's healthy, uh, that might change. Luke A. Davis. <clears throat> Question on Twitter, at Luke A. Davis. Contrary and take after rewatching Ohio State-Indiana. Denzel Ward looks like an All-American first-round grade cover corner. Am I crazy? No. No, 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 no. No. I thought, no, I think it was good. And we're going to have that up. I'm, I'm in the process still of doing that, of rewatching all the throws at Denzel Ward. Listen, you give some stuff up. Um, but I don't think anyone came out of that game just because Denzel Ward gave up some throws saying Denzel Ward can't play. Um, bigger rece- One thing people came out of there saying is Simi Cobbs is legit. Mm-hmm. Simi Cobbs is better than any Ohio State receiver, and I think Simi Cobbs is probably better than any Oklahoma receiver. So you're not going to see that guy all the time. I, I, I don't know off the top of my head who else. I mean, Penn State has good receivers. Maybe not quite a guy. That guy's like that guy's like Michigan's got some good receivers. So I mean, you know, I know. I think was it Herb Street? Did they say that is the best quarterback receiver combo Ohio State will see all year? And people were kind of like, what? That, yeah, that might have been. I probably buy that. Maybe a little hyperbolic, but but the point is made. How good that is! That was a uh, a tall, big, accurate quarterback that you weren't going to stop him from throwing. The way they were doing that, he was going to get the throws out. There was he like I, I was asking Tyquan Lewis about it, and these guys all talk about match the hand all the time. Now they're addicted to it. The Raquan McMillan play against Michigan, where you rush. Uh, you don't get there, you put up the hand that matches up the quarterback's throwing hand, which usually means you're putting up your left hand to match his right hand, right arm. Um, but but Lego's big enough, and they were getting out fast enough, they weren't going to knock down a ton of passes right. for that. So Now, Baker Mayfield, right? That might be more of a thing. But, but he um, did it last year. Didn't Tyqua- or Jalen Holmes tip the ball that Jerome Baker picked off? Yes, yeah. he did. So, I mean, that, that's there for them, but but um, in terms of, like, Denzel Ward just being out there, he was going to have to be out there. All those guys were because there wasn't going to be enough of a pass rush with a quarterback that big, a receiver that big, and getting it out that quickly to really disrupt anything. It was just a matter of, is Indiana going to be able to complete it or not? So, Denzel Ward gave up a few, but there's a lot of guys that would have given up more. I just, yeah, I, like, you're on the goal line. It's Denzel Ward against um, Simi Cobbs. There's three balls thrown. Denzel Ward defends the first two, and then Simi Cobbs catches the last one in the end zone. Like, who won? Yeah, I mean, you point to the scoreboard, and there's your answer, but it doesn't mean that Denzel Ward's a bad player. Right, right. Um, it just means the situation, you know, that's that's what Indiana was going to do. They did. It was interesting. They didn't. They just didn't even really try to run. It was like Ohio State stopped the run, but there wasn't a huge commitment to, we've got to do this. They didn't really have any. It was weird. Indiana's had tailbacks. They, yeah, they don't have one. And they don't have one? They don't have the line either that they've had in the past. Uh, Oklahoma, who's the Oklahoma tailback? The young guy? Is it freshman? He looked yeah. like he had a little something. I mean, UTEP, it's hard to get a gauge. Abdul Adams, sophomore, 
Rodney Anderson, uh, redshirt sophomore, the top two tailbacks on the roster. I mean, it's they, not, have, they have three guys listed as co-starters. It's not last year, but no. I mean, because the guys last year were what second round and fourth round picks, mm-hmm. and both like people think would have been the first round. Would have been a first round pick if Mixon didn't have his off-field stuff. And people think P. Ryan might end up being the tailback for the Redskins before yeah. it's all said and done. That's a fantasy football tip for you right there. Get him <laughs> late in your draft. Um, so I mean it's gonna it's gonna be a different uh, offensive game plan to be sure, but um, I don't know. It's gonna be interesting. People are asking about Jeffrey Okuda. I think that's an interesting point. Should we dip in? Yeah, we got a dip. Let's take a little dip um, as we run through your questions here. I feel like the main things are people are wondering about the Ohio State secondary. They're wondering about JT. They're wondering about how Weber and Dobbins are gonna work together, and then Bill Landis on the Tate Martell beat this week. <laughs> You compared Baker Mayfield and Tate Martell in a story that people need to go read on Cleveland.com. Uh, ah, the butcher. I'm going I'm to make sure this is... Uh, oh, so he's a Houston, Texas-based illustrator. Inspired by street art, skateboarding, cartoons, video games, and horror flicks. Let's work together. All right, ah, the butcher. Let's work together and get yeah. some logos for... Okay, I talk logo. I want some, I want some street art cartoon horror flick inspired stuff for Buckeye Talk. Ah, the butcher. That's at A-H-H That's at A-H-H the butcher. Ah, the butcher. When we put out this thing, I I told people, we were saying, read this story Bill wrote. He said, "Um, Martell was an animal in high school. I'm looking forward to seeing him play at Ohio State. There's There's a dual purpose to what we're talking about here. One is Tate Martell helping Ohio State prepare for Baker Mayfield. And the second hidden meaning is Ohio State fans looking at Baker Mayfield and wondering, could that be what our quarterback looks like someday? Tate Martell, beat writer Bill Landis, take it away. I am trying really hard not to, like, be fully on. You're not trying that hard. I am. Oh, yeah, I guess I'm not trying that hard. He gets a little... Sly smile on his face whenever I the name Tate Martell comes up. Well, it's partly because I want him to be the starting quarterback because he'll be an interesting quote and do interesting things and be a fun person to cover. And um, Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow would not be that, even though they'd be good players in their own right. Um, I don't know. I just keep going back to the fact that I wrote it in the story that Tate Martell is 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 unlike any quarterback they have in that room right now. I think he is the most like Braxton Miller than any quarterback that Urban Meyer has had at Ohio State. Yeah, and that's the one thing. It's like we know what Urban Meyer likes to do. He loved having Braxton Miller. Yeah, but the, the, the thing that I also come back to with Tate Martell, and I found it interesting when I asked, and I was just asking Tate Martell questions to get his name in a headline. Like, I'll fully now, admit, now I'll come fully, on. I'll fully admit but, that. But did but you I get think, good answers I did, from people? I did. You I, did. I got I, – I got, um, I thought it was a very, very interesting answer from JT Barrett, who said a lot of the same things last year when I wrote about comparing the way that JT plays to the way Baker Mayfield plays. And JT used said contro- controlling Tate. And it makes me wonder, like, are they going to try to change this kid and make him more like JT, which is a fine way to play quarterback. You get your three yards when you're going to get sacked, and then you live to play another down and all that stuff. That's great. I want them to not rein in Tate Martell and let him play the way that he played at Bishop Gorman, let him run around in the backfield, let him extend plays, let him use his dynamic running ability to do things other than like play fullback when the play breaks down, which is what JT Barrett does. And I don't know if they're going to let him to let him do that 
because in a perfect world, I don't know if Urban Meyer would ever allow his quarterback to do that. I know Braxton Miller played that way in 2012 and a little bit in 2013, but he was not playing in um, sort of the perfect Urban Meyer offense. He was still putting the pieces together. When all the pieces are together, Urban doesn't want his quarterback playing that way. And I am nervous that they're going to change Tate Martell, and I don't want them to change Tate Martell. I want him to be who he is and be exciting and play like Baker Mayfield and Trace McSorley and run around like a psychopath and make some plays that you're not used to. You're not used to seeing an Ohio State quarterback make. Can I drop a theory on you? Yeah. What if Urban Meyer wants his quarterback to play more under control and play uh, within the frames of the offense and to take four, four yards when it's there? Don't take the big risk, and he thinks he wants to play that way right up until the point where Ohio State gets to the playoff again, playing that way, and loses. I think that's possible. And Urban Meyer says, against the elite, this is not enough. You know, it's kind of like it's it's the theory that we always people always talk about with Cardell Jones in the playoff. Did you need a big arm in the playoff to beat Alabama? Did that just work out that way? But do you need something extra? And maybe it's not a big arm. Maybe it's a guy who you cannot game plan for. Like you can game. Listen, JT Barrett, and we're not going to drop, I'm not going to drop caveats all year. We think JT Barrett is a great quarterback. We think he is a great college quarterback. We think he is uh, a great teammate, a great leader. He is a tremendous runner. He is a tremendous operator of the zone read offense. He is a tremendous operator of the Urban Meyer offense. But when you get to the elite of the elite, if the end of this season looks anything like the end of last season, it may be a line in the sand for Urban Meyer to say, we need something, we need the, the unknown factor. We need the crazy person factor. And maybe that would play into the hands of Tate Martell being a little more Tate Martell um, because the other way didn't quite get you where you needed to go. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that for as good as JT Barrett is, he's very predictable. and Often predictable good. Yeah, I don't mean that in a bad way, but if you're if you're a defense, you have a pretty good idea of what JT is going to do, and it's still hard to stop because he's such a strong runner and he's smart. Um, but I like the unpredictability unpredictability element that comes with preparing for a quarterback like Baker Mayfield or Trace McSorley or uh, Johnny Manziel or someone else who's not a short white guy that I can't think of, Braxton Miller. Um, yeah, I, I just like that. I like that element that, that that is not present at the moment with Ohio State's quarterback play. Uh, honorary podcast co-host, he's like the fourth podcast guy, like the fourth Beatle, Chase Richardson at Chase KR nineteen. Uh, is there any possibility that next year we see Dwayne Haskins at quarterback mainly with Tate Martell as a red zone specialist? I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> that was not ideal. Just because they did it in 2015 with Cardell Jones and JT Barrett in what was the most screwed up quarterback system that you could imagine and what derailed the best team in the country from repeating as national champions. No, no. It's a lovely, and, and it's not, listen, when Urban Meyer did it with Tebow, it was because he had a veteran quarterback who was okay and a true freshman who was a freak. And he didn't want to make the true freshman the quarterback all the way. Um, so he he found that adaptation in 2006 that won Florida National Championship with Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. But Tebow was also very limited as a, as a thrower that year. And that is not what, what Haskins and, and Martell would be. That is, not, that is not what that would be. That would be more like if you had 
If Dwayne Haskins didn't exist, Tate Martell was your backup quarterback right now, and JT Barrett was about half as good as he is. Mm-hmm. That's what you would be talking about. But that's that is not some sort of uh, you see a lot of you see a lot of national championship teams normally doing that. No, no, you need a quarterback outside of Florida. In 2006. Yeah, um, which was Urban Meyer jerry-rigging a system because yeah. he had a very unusual situation, but that is not what the ne- the quarterback derby next year will be. Do you want? I just want to ask you a quick question, and then we can stop talking about the future and get back to this game. Where are you in the 2018 quarterback battle? I'm not, I don't, I'm not changed really from where I was. I don't think Joe Burrow is out of it. I want to see Joe Burrow come back healthy and see how much they play him this year. I continue to think that Dwayne Haskins as a thrower is intriguing, and I continue to wonder about his fit in this offense and the necessary things that they need a quarterback to do in the run game, and can he do them? But um, the more we talk about JT's throwing it, and you think, man, Dwayne Haskins is just different. I'm curious to see that. I'm still not really – I still would put Tate Martell third at the moment for next year, even behind Burrow still, until I'm sure Joe Burrow is not going to be here, which I don't think – we all jump to that conclusion – because it it sort of makes sense, but I think it's you know it, it's certainly not a sure thing, and so um, I still think it's could go either way with Burrow or Haskins, and I still think Martell is a wild card for 2018 as the starter that I wouldn't discount, but I'm not any closer really to him as the guy than I was before the season. That's probably the most realistic approach. What's your Tate Martell centric whoop whoop approach? I'm like fifty fifty on Haskins and Martell. I think that I don't know. I'm not going to guess that Joe Burrow is going to transfer, um, but I think he. It just depends on how his hand heals and when he gets back. If he can get back in time to play some garbage time games this year, um, which I think he might, then then that changes things. But he picked a bad time to get injured, and I know it wasn't his fault. But I, I think maybe if he's not out of it, I think he has slid back a, a little bit. Quick, uh, quick quarterback thing, and then we'll get back to Oklahoma at Francis Zomes. F-R-A-N-C-I-S-Z-O-M-E-S. If you were the coach, would uh, Dwayne Haskins be pushing JT Barrett right now? No. No. Um, just a no. I mean, like, it's one game. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not completely blind to the idea of, of if JT Barrett is actually not good, them thinking about something. I don't think he's the guaranteed 13-game starter no matter what. But I think... Yeah. He's a long way from that. As critical as we have been about, you know, what he didn't do against Indiana. Um, He came back in the second half. He did what he needed to do to win that game, which does count for something. But it just doesn't count as the only thing. That's our only point here. We are not a win as a win podcast. We are not a win as a win coverage team. So if you want a win as a win coverage team, go read somebody else. We're going to analyze things within the context of a victory because if you're a a win as a win then guess what? 62 times you just say, well, they won. And that's not what it's about because the threshold here is national championships. It's the highest bar there is in college football. Bama's bar is not higher. Bama just gets over the same bar more often than Ohio State does. But Ohio State's bar is the same bar as Alabama's, which is playoff every year, win the national championship. It doesn't mean if they don't do that, it's it's not a successful year. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they failed when they don't win the national championship. It means that's what the goal is. There's nothing short of that. So everything we talk about is in that regard. And that means it's not a win is a win. But 
I am not at all close to a world where JT Barrett is not the starting quarterback and not the full-time quarterback. I'm not there either, but I also did not come into this season thinking that some kind of quarterback shakeup would be off the table if JT struggled. And I do think, as much as I think it's a recipe for disaster, if there was going to be any kind of two-quarterback system, it would be with Dwayne Haskins and JT Barrett, if it happens. Because they're different. Because they're different. I mean, it's Cardale. It's it's Cardale, like a more accurate Cardale and JT, the same JT that he was in 2015. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting one from Ak, at Rick Went 23 Rick Wentling. Hypothetical, if given the choice, would you rather play Penn State or Oklahoma this weekend? Which team will have more yards against Ohio State this year? I'd rather play Oklahoma. I'd rather play Oklahoma, too. I think Penn State's really good. We did our Big Ten Power Rankings. We're doing those for the first time, where Bill, Tim, and I all vote. (laughs) Tim did the post. I I didn't have a chance to look at it yet. It went up Tuesday night. Who's number one? I didn't look at it either. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's Penn State. I'll Just at, we'd like to reiterate now. again, you guys better be reading Cleveland.com or we're gonna <laughs> okay. stop doing the podcast. I'll look at it right now. Here's we're so busy working, we don't even have time to read our own stuff. I know who I voted number one on my list in the power rankings, and I can I do my power rankings different than when I voted in the AP. In AP I did it. I, you guys know how I voted. I voted on deserving. I, re, I did it just on the games you won. No reputation, no expectation. I did it by on the field, on the field, on the field. A power ranking to me is different than a poll. A power ranking is strength, strength of team. And that is a little different than just what happened on the field. So who'd you vote number one this week? Penn State. I voted Penn State number Penn one. Penn State too. was number one. So Penn, it was Penn State one, Ohio State two, Michigan three. Penn State did almost everything right against a bad team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ohio State did s- many things right against a mediocre team. So it's a hard comparison. It's always a hard comparison early in the year. Ohio State opened against Bowling, Bowling Green last year and won 77 to nothing. If they had played Akron, maybe they would have done exactly what Penn State did. But Penn State did a lot of things right on both sides of the ball. It's probably their best opening win in decades. Long time. Dominant. Defense and offense. Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley, those receivers. A decent defense. That is a thing. That is a thing. And you're not going to get away from that. Ohio State, no matter how... I was going to say no matter how good J.K. Dobbins is. Is it possible that Ohio State could be as good as Penn State in the quarterback-running back combo this year at some point? Could Could... Dobbins, Weber, and JT be as good as Barkley and McSorley, or is that just off the table because Saquon Barkley is in the conversation for the best player in college football, and Trace McSorley seems to get better every week? I think it is off the table. I think Trace McSorley is better at throwing the ball downfield than JT, and Saquon Barkley is better than J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber by a significant margin. Which which might mean that, that J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber could combine to be, you know, combined they're the fourth best tailback attack in college football Mm -hmm. it's just Saquon Barkley I'll be fascinated to see how this turns out Ezekiel Elliott was a fourth pick in the draft what was Fournette last year four I think they're both four and it's funny it's like we were all everybody was like no more tailbacks taken high it's not worth it um and then Ezekiel Elliott got that back rolling where NFL teams thought if there's an exceptional guy it's worth the pick Ezekiel Elliott went fourth then last year you watched Leonard Fournette and thought, man, is Leonard Fournette better than Ezekiel Elliott? Leonard Fournette went fourth. Mm-hmm. Now I watch Saquon Barkley, and I think, is he the best of any of them? 
I don't know where he's going to go. There's a lot of quarterbacks that are going to be at the top of the draft next year. I think Saquon Barkley, by the end of the season, might be the best running back in college to come out of college football in a long time. Is he going to be a Brown? That would be interesting if they figure out if Kaiser. Yeah, if Kaiser's the guy, is the guy, or it's one of those things too. It's like if the Browns, because I don't know that the Browns are going to be like two and fourteen this year. I think the Browns might be five or six win team where they end up with like the sixth pick in the draft. If they had the sixth pick in the draft and Darnold Rosen, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen are all picked, and it's like, well, you're going to take Derwin James or Saquon Barkley. Isaiah Crowell is like a decent back who who might be your guy. If you just built an offensive line and you saw what Dallas did when they got a decent young quarterback, they had a built off stacked offensive line and they put a really talented back behind that and what that offense looked like. And the Browns, if if Kaiser would be the guy and you have the offensive line, I'd buy it. I think that's I think that would be on the table. I think that could be a step to make your when you're trying to get from Six win team to ten win playoff team. I think mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley could be a step in that. Yes. Yeah. No. Yes. No. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. That's why I asked. That was yeah. a good tangent. Yeah. Um. Missed at Mister H V A C Buckeye. It's Mister HVAC Buckeye. I'm gonna look you up now, Derek Webster. Do you sell? A, are you an HVAC guy? Oh, there's an air conditioner. Uh, taken apart like a heating system is the pictures. Yes. On his Twitter account. So I'm guessing that you are an HVAC guy. That's a good name. Your business can advertise on Buckeye Talk. Mr. HVAC Buckeye, Derek Webster, come advertise with us. We just gave you a free ad right now. For all your HVAC needs, visit Mr. HVAC Buckeye. How much faith do you guys have in Paris Campbell catching the ball in clutch situations? Uh, down the field, um, not, a, not a ton. Not a ton. Something beyond a three-yard catch. Not a ton. I just don't – and I've said this before, and I don't want to like keep hammering the same point. I don't think he's a receiver. Good athlete, good guy. Great athlete. Good Great guy. athlete, good guy. Great kick returner, potentially. Mm-hmm. Dangerous. When he's back there and he start, gets that kickoff and gets going a little bit, you, you at least once a game usually do a little uh, – He's got really good vision on those kick returns. Really just interesting combination of traits. Like he's, he's physical, but he's super fast. Good vision. Um, I mean, it's one of those things that's like, if he had great hands, he'd be like a top 10. I mean, it's like, if he had great hands, he'd be the best player in college, yeah, yeah. <laughs> college football. So it's like, oh, Paris Campbell, he only does four things really well, not five. So he doesn't have great hands. So what do you do to make him a super effective offensive threat given that, right? I mean, KJ Hill has great hands, they say, right? So they say. They keep saying how, what good hand, that's why he's your punt returner. Um, great hands on KJ Hill, less explosion mm-hmm. in the other parts of the game. Again, good player, good player. But this part of this, this is why the coaches get paid and the players don't get paid, even though they should. Coaches get paid to figure out these are the players. Now, what do we do to win with what they do best? And I mean, that's the, that's the one that and that and I think it's worth talking about in that deep ball throw. Paris Campbell dropped a forty-yard touchdown on a deep ball that was perfectly thrown. Is he the guy you should be throwing that to? I was just going to say that. I, my trust in him catching a ball down the field in a big moment is low, but I also don't think he should be the guy you have to, if, if he's the guy you're relying on, then you have some major problems. It's the same thing as last year. For as dynamic as Urban Meyer's H-backs are, and for as important as that position is in Urban Meyer's offense, that guy should not be the go-to receiver. 
It should be one of the guys on the outside. Ben Victor, Austin Mack, Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon. One of those guys should be the one that you're looking to on third and eight to make a catch down the field. Or third and 15, whatever it is. Game's on the line. You need someone to make a grab. I'm not looking to the slot receiver who's a converted running back. That shouldn't be the case. And that's been the case far too often since Evermeyer's been in Columbus, in my opinion. And has been a, a major reason why the passing game has struggled the last three years. But, um, yeah, I don't... Th- I don't I mean, if Paris Campbell gets behind a defense and you want to throw him a ball, throw him the ball. But I wouldn't feel super confident in his ability to catch it because that's just not what he does. Yeah, and it's and it's one of those things where it's uh, it's sort of like leaving open uh, a guy who doesn't shoot the three real, real well, <clears throat> leaving him open from three. Yeah. And then he misses it. And it's like, well, it was a wide open shot. I was like, well, yeah, it was a wide open shot. But, like, well, they're not afraid of him taking that shot. And so if your offense is, is designed around where we're going to – that guy making three-pointers, it's like, well – that guy's better inside. That guy's better in fifteen footers. That guy's a, a, a defense guy. He's not. That's he's open for a reason. So, if 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 your strategy is we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and we're not necessarily our number one worry is not the Paris Campbell getting behind the defense and catching the deep ball, then you're not going to prioritize covering that. And then when they take the shot and it's perfect and he drops it, you're sort of like, yeah, that's now. Paris Campbell floating across the middle behind the linebackers and turning a three-yard pass into a 74-yard score. Yeah, yeah, I'm worried about that. Yes. If I'm Oklahoma's defensive coordinator, he's a Stoops, right? He's a Stoops. Which Stoops is he? It is Mike <laughs> Stoops. Name that Stoops. Um, that keeps me up at night. Paris Campbell catching short passes keeps me up at night. Yeah. What else keeps you up at night? You're a Stoops. I'm making you, I'm stoopsing you right mm. now. You're stoopsed. You've been stoopsed. Mm. What are you worried about? Are you worried about, are you worried oh. about this run game? Are you worried about, oh man, now he has two tailbacks, yeah. JT in the zone read. If they just decide to like come out and, and pound us a little bit, hit Weber inside, couple JT keepers. JT didn't keep it a lot early on last week. I was a little surprised by that. I think he'll keep it more. Uh, early on against Oklahoma, uh, Dobbins, if he doesn't have to carry it 29 times, I'm worried about that a little bit. Yes? Yeah, I'm, I'm worried a little bit about a run game that is JT keeping it more and a fresher Dobbins and a fresher Weber getting fewer carries and be, probably being a little more of, a, of an impact player because they're not taking as many hits. But I don't know if... <clears throat> If that's the thing that worries me second on the list, and maybe it's first, then Paris Campbell coming across the middle is, is number two. It's not really all that dynamic of an offense. I don't know. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I mean, it's – it's. Uh, um, we will be – when we are back on this podcast next week, if they have won, I will happily be in win is a win mode. A win is a win. Mm-hmm. Because then they're going to hit this stretch, this four-game stretch of bleh. Um, what's the fourth game? It's UN, Army, UNLV, Rutgers, and then... And uh, the team that beat Texas. Oh, yeah, Maryland. <laughs> so maybe that game's better than we thought. Yeah. Um, but they're going to have times, you know, if they win, and then you think, well, you know, this could have been better, this could be that, that, that could be better, but they're going to have a month to get it ready for when it gets tough again. Um, and this is a big test. This is a big test. I think Oklahoma... <sighs> I asked a, a Buckeye the other day about like the revenge thing of of just the idea that is is, is Oklahoma going to play better because the last time they lost was when they played Ohio State last time. It's their last, they haven't lost since then. Mm-hmm. And if Baker Mayfield, and it's not a personal thing, 
But if he wants to be great, he wants his team to win. If he doesn't win this game, Oklahoma is just a half step below great. They might get to the playoff anyway. Um, they could, I think, depending how things shake down. It's like if Ohio State beats Oklahoma and runs the table and is the number one or number two team in the country, and Oklahoma wins the Big 12 and their only losses to Ohio State, that is absolutely a playoff path for Oklahoma. Yep. So I don't think this is a do-or-die game from the playoff perspective for either team, as long as they remain healthy. My prediction before the season was Alabama, Florida State, Oklahoma, Ohio State in the playoff. Now that Florida State thing's probably going to be wrong. Anybody who picked Florida State in the playoff, I don't think they're going to get there with a freshman quarterback. Um, but it's not a do-or-die playoff situation. So like, it's really important. This is a really important game. But um, especially for Oklahoma on the road, oh, you lost at Ohio State on the road. Ohio State's awesome. I think you can still get in. Mm-hmm. Ohio State at home, if you lose, is a little more problematic. But if Penn State's really good and you beat them, if Michigan's good and you beat them, other things shake down here or there, you go to the Big Ten championship game um, and beat Wisconsin or Northwestern, and that's going to be a ranked team, obviously. There's certainly a path there. It's not do or die. Yeah. We've learned that now. It's yeah. not do or die. But I think Oklahoma, I think Baker Mayfield – is going to be great. Do you think he's going to be great in this game? I don't. He's Tate Martell. Yeah, I know. I know. He wasn't great last year. He wasn't great last year, and I think Oklahoma's offense was maybe a little better last year. I mean, they had better players yeah. last year. Yeah. So I think, I, I no, I don't think Baker Mayfield will be great in this game. God, you're a hater. Uh, Sanders Mike 231 is angry that Bill Landis took his point. Just kidding, but Mike is. We're backing up your uh, Jeffrey Okuda philosophy. No. Why didn't Jeff Okuda see any action in the first half? He's probably our tallest corner and could have helped. So people are wondering if that could be an answer. That's going to. I mean, be it's more about being tall. Like it's the technique. Like people like tall corners. I will say this: like Denzel Ward got picked on because he's short, but Denzel Ward was in the right spot on every one of those throws. He just needs to be an inch taller. Denzel Ward is a very good player. Yeah, super fast. Fought for the ball. There was a throw early. Uh where Simi Cobbs almost made like a crazy one-handed catch. And as he was making it, Denzel Ward just like reached in and knocked the ball out of his heart. Yeah. And it's like, because he fought through the play. Um, I bet you, I think we're supposed to talk to Denzel Ward on Wednesday. Yeah. I bet you he had a great time in that game. I mean, they threw the ball at him 45 times. Isn't that so. <laughs> just what you, like corners, because corners cover guys every play. Yeah. Whether they throw it there or not. Most of the time they don't throw it there. So it's like, oh, they're going to cover this guy. Oh, I didn't. And throw it, yeah. but it's like, oh, I threw it again. Oh my god, it's coming to me! Like that'd be great. Yeah, probably. Why do you? Yeah, was fun. That's why you're there. Yeah, he's never going to be thrown at any more in his life than he was in that game. So you give up a couple, you give up a couple, and you didn't play everyone perfectly. And maybe you should have stopped a couple more than you did. But you got your fair share. Interesting. It was fun to watch. Yeah, he's a good player. To be fair, from at cab. Oh three, oh five. To be fair, how much of JT's ineffectiveness can be attributed to the wide receivers and the line, especially the wide receivers? Uh, not the line, because better there, there was they were better, and there was really no pass rush. Correct. Um, I think it's still like fifty fifty JT in the at least from that game, and we'll see. Oklahoma's got a better defensive line; they'll mix it up a little more, and we'll see how good the pass protection really is. Um, but off the Indiana game, I, I put just as much blame on JT as I do the receivers. Guys were still not always open, and there were like some guys that get open, and JT will miss them and he won't see them. Um, but they were not breaking free on every play, and it's tough to do when you're dropping eight. Um, and they dropped balls. I mean, like there were some drops. Dropped, there, they, were, there, I mean, was, there were, I think, there were four drops. 
There were some obvious drops. And JT's completion percentage is like 57%, which is one of the lowest you'll see for him. He's usually in the 60s or 70s. But without those four drops, he's where he normally is. And he also has a long, t- long touchdown pass to Paris Campbell. And then I think we're singing a different, a much different tune about that game than we are now. Um, but listen, but I wouldn't be singing much of a different tune if Paris Campbell had caught that. I, I, I know, I, I know, he I made the throw. I don't need, I don't need to. Oh wait, this three hundred five on the stat sheet would have been three hundred and forty six. Now my mind is completely changed. I know he made the throw. I'm looking at the other throws during the course of the game. Urban Meyer said there were three and outs in the first half that were a problem. There were at least a couple of those three and outs where there was a guy there and he didn't throw it. It's third and seven. Yeah, he yeah, didn't yeah. throw it. Yeah. Why aren't you throwing it? You're, you're pump faking and throwing it out of bounds on third down. Why aren't you throwing it? Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with that. I think okay, I can't okay. wrap my head around that. He's not, again, he's not doing what he said he would do. He's not being the the guy who's going to throw it in the coverage or the guy who's going to throw He didn't throw an interception. He should have thrown an interception. I want interceptions. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I put it, I, but you, you do blame, who do you, I guess, I don't want I don't want to play the game, who do you blame more? But I think that, <laughs> Welcome yes. back to who do yeah. you blame more? <laughs> The receiver play certainly had a hand in the ineffectiveness yeah. of the passing offense. No, I mean, that's 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 there. I mean, I didn't, you know, we're wondering why Ohio State doesn't throw it, didn't throw it like Indiana. It's because they don't have semi-cons. <laughs> like, that's the they first don't. thing. I said, I made a comment about that. I said, semi-cons is six foot four or six foot five, whatever he is. And Ohio State has three players like that, and they left two of them in Ohio. It was Trayvon Grimes and Jalen Harris. <laughs> yeah. Play them. I don't, like, I don't know. Play them. I, they don't block. I don't care. Play them. And if they get out there and they're scared and they can't play, then you stop playing them. But let them go out there and play the game and see what happens. Because the guys that you've had in this program for three years, guess what? Are still the same guys they were last year. Kevin Guyton is checking in. Not related to Kenny Guyton. It's a different spelling. Mm. At I shoot for stars. I-S-H-O-O-T numeral four S-T-A-R-Z. Everyone wants to blame JT. Let's not blame wide receiver. Let's not blame wide receivers not getting open or tight ends running the wrong route or wide receivers dropping passes. If you criticize, criticize all. Don't just pick and choose who you criticize. Um, I mean, it's a valid point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we we do that. Um, there were a couple throws to Marcus Baugh that just look wonky. The wheel route to J.K. Dobbins, which went for like an 18-yard touchdown, if thrown in a better position, or went for an 18-yard gain, and if it was thrown ahead of Dobbins. And that he could catch it on the run, it probably would have been a touchdown. And that's one of those things. That's the next level kind of stuff that, like, my man, he's not my man. Listen, though, he's a little bit my man. Kean Fahey, Love who now has his own podcast on ESPN, like, he had this terrible leg surgery. And, like, he hadn't done podcasts. He's, like, in a long time in a year or something. He got back in the podcast game on Takes by the Lake on Cleveland.com. <laughs> now he's got his own podcast. Follow him on ESPN, right? On ESPN. And he's, he was on Levitard all the time before yeah. me. But he's been on Takes by the Lake twice. I really respect him. And that's what anybody who knows anything about football tells you. Is that not When they talk about placement and accuracy and stuff, it's not just completions. I mean, completions are actually not a huge part of the thing because it's like, well, you can throw a bad ball and the receiver makes a great catch. You can throw a perfect ball and the receiver drops it. You can complete a pass but still be inaccurate because you get an 8-yard gain, but it should have been a 50-yard gain if you led the guy. Um, so the Dobbins play was good, but it could have been better. Then they went back to that exact same play and tried it again. Dobbins beat the guy covering him, but the safety got over the top and broke it up mm-hmm. um, because Indiana figured it out. Right. I don't think JT could have made a better throw there. That was that was the safety being like, oh, I'm not going to let that happen again. Yeah. Um, 
But the Marcus Baugh, there was a Marcus Baugh in the end zone pass that was weird. There was a Marcus Baugh third down that was a miscommunication, it looked like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, we don't know. We don't know everything. Um, did someone run the wrong route? Urban Meyer made that point when I asked him on Monday about JT's accuracy and what Tom Allen had said, um, that it's both. A Lots of times the receiver can make the quarterback look inaccurate. But again, okay, like, but the guys, so, so whatever – I think I think sometimes when we say JT, we mean passing game. So JT's the guy letting it go. There's a guy on the other end who has to catch it. We know he has to have block and have time. The law, the line, as you said, the line was an issue last year. Not as much of an issue against Indiana. No, because it wasn't a pass rush, and I think those guys are better. Their run blocking, I, I think, was probably a little worse than their pass blocking against Indiana. But there were just a couple things. I'm just go back, go back, go get on YouTube and slow it down and just watch. Watch a couple of the play. There are some guys there sometimes, and it's just weird. It's just weird to me to watch a guy be open enough for a throw on a third down, and to watch a fifth-year senior quarterback not throw it. And I just wonder. I just don't know. I don't know what the thought process is is there. Because it's like I mean, like I don't know. I mean, I guess there was a four percent chance it might have been picked, but it's not like the defender's right there. I think that four percent chance scares JT Barrett. Yeah. So I mean. So we get your points. We're not we're not trying. We're just being real. And that's Buckeye Talk. Don't just get it. <laughs> but basically, that's our tag. We're just being real. So um, follow along this week. Lots of Oklahoma coverage. Bill Landis is doing some good recruiting stuff as it relates to Ohio State and Oklahoma. Uh, as it relates to guys in this class. Um, you need to keep reading Bill for more uh, extended, in-depth recruiting analysis of the Buckeyes and recruiting strategies here in the state of Ohio. Um, we got some more stuff coming on uh, breakdowns off the game against Indiana that'll tell us things about Oklahoma. Um, and I think this is an interesting thing about, I'm going to try to write something about that uh, when the playoffs started in 2014, you would have thought that in a world where there's four playoff spots and five power conferences, that the Big Ten may have been fifth in that pecking order. And we talked a lot in 2014 about comparing Ohio State to TCU and Baylor. Uh, Ohio State got in. We saw what Ohio State did. Uh, And if you look right now and think about the playoff, it is pretty clear. There's no doubt about the fact that the fifth conference, as you just analyze things, and it's not really about conferences, but the strength and the reputation of your conference affects how individual teams are viewed by the committee. The Big 12 is fifth. Yeah. Yeah. And three years ago, we might have thought you might have been worried as an Ohio State fan that the Big Ten's going to be fifth, and that's clearly not the case. Um, there is a lot of respect for the Big Ten. They had a decent – the Big Ten East especially had a really good opening week. Maryland beat Texas. Rutgers looked respectable against Washington, which was a playoff team last year. Uh, Michigan State won. Michigan beat Florida. Ohio State beat Indiana, but Indiana looked like they can do some things as another team in the East that – um, isn't just going to be a walkover. That looked like a, a side of a conference with seven real teams and three teams at the top in Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, who who really are going to make noise in the national scene before the end of the season. Yeah. I have a question I want to ask you before we finish. Is it about ranch dressing? It's not about ranch dressing. I just, in general, compared to last year, compared to going into the Oklahoma game last year to this year, how do you feel about Ohio State's chances? Do you feel better or worse? Same. <laughs> like it's a complicated thing because 
I would say I feel better about Ohio State's chances based mostly on the fact that Ohio State was a really young team going on the road last year. Um, and, and Oklahoma had just more known quantities at important positions, you know. Um, but so I didn't necessarily see that coming. I didn't see that Oklahoma yeah. game unfolding the way it did with a very young team that in the end, you know, Malik Hooker became Malik Hooker. Marshawn Lattimore became Marshawn Lattimore. Those guys, Jerome Baker became Jerome Baker. Those guys started to become what they were that night. And we saw what they ended up being. So, like, going into it, I think I feel better about Ohio State's chances. But I still don't know if Ohio State's going to win. But I don't feel great about Ohio State's chances. Because I was it was more that I was wrong last year, and I underestimated Ohio State's chances. And they were better than I thought. So... <sighs> Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I buy that. I, I, it's I basically both, mostly based on youth. Yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense to me. I thought coming into this season, I thought that it was possible by the end of the year that Oklahoma may end up being the best team Ohio State plays this year. And having watched the first week where they played, Oklahoma played a bad team, Penn State played a bad team, and Michigan beat Florida – I am now of the thinking that Oklahoma might be the third best team Ohio State plays this year behind both Penn State and Michigan. Um, so I feel a little bit better, I think, about Ohio State's chances than I did last year. And I didn't feel great last year because of all the things you said they were young was on the road. Oklahoma had more pieces. Um, I don't think Oklahoma is as good as it was last year. At least, and, and it's not full of known quantity. Or, yeah, known but, but, and here's a distinction, though. We've been trying to make this all offseason. Oklahoma, the Oklahoma that Ohio State beat isn't what Oklahoma ended up being. So Oklahoma, by the end of the year, was a better team than the team that lost to Ohio State in week three, right? Or no? Yes and no. I mean, they didn't play anybody as good as Ohio State. They beat Auburn in the bowl game. They didn't lose. So like that, I don't think you can overlook that fact. But I think Oklahoma could have played at the level it played against Ohio State and still probably won the rest of the games on that schedule after playing Ohio State. I'm still confused by the fact that it felt like, to me, Oklahoma... Oklahoma didn't lose after that game, and Ohio State, in many ways, didn't play as well as they played at Oklahoma the rest of the year. Yeah, that's true. Ohio State also played much better teams. They played better teams than Oklahoma played. And they, I mean, I'm even including played, like, like Indiana and Northwestern on that list too. Like, I don't the Big Twelve stinks, or at least. Did but you year. thought? Do you think Northwestern last year was better? Are you? You're not saying that like Northwestern was better than Oklahoma. No, no, no. I'm saying Northwestern is like better than like Texas last than Oklahoma year. Oklahoma played. And Oklahoma State maybe a little bit. So, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to analyze this. Just watch the game. Hey, time will tell. Time will tell. Time. The passage of time turns the future into the present. And once the present exists, then you know what happens. Analysis. Um, <laughs> we could have had a 45-second podcast and that would have been the end of it. Yeah, that's going to be – I'm just going to stop – I'm just going to – if you're going to say time will tell, then just make it your lead and stop your story. <laughs> Dateline Columbus. The Ohio State Buckeyes will play the Oklahoma Sooners on Saturday. Time will tell. Stories after the game. Out. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. I said for Indiana that you'll be worried in the second half, and you were. Uh, they pulled away and covered. Um, we did our Big Ten – we did our overall picks last week. 
against the spread. I won. It's not a humble brag. It's just a straight-up brag. It's a jerk brag. I'm going to invent that. Jerk brag. Jerk brag. I'm a jerk and I'm bragging. I'm, I'm wrong about everything. I was finally right and I bring it up. <laughs> um, but I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be close into the fourth quarter on this one. Yes or no? I'm going to pick that. Yeah. But you don't really think it? No, I'm always wrong. So, like, I'm going to pick, like, a touchdown game and Ohio State's going by 30. So, I don't – but, yeah, if, if, when I make my prediction, I'm, I'm predicting a close game. I think it's on the table that that, that Baker Mayfield's going to do things and, and, and continually – you know how Indiana did things that worked offensively and then it just felt like over the course of the game they wore down and the defensive line wore, Indiana, wore Ohio State – no, the Ohio State defensive line wore Indiana down. They just couldn't keep it up to the same level. I think with the Oklahoma offensive line as good as it is, and with Baker Mayfield as good as he is, I think Oklahoma has a pretty good chance to keep it up. I'm really excited to see how good Ohio State defensive line is, and like this will this will be. People say it's the deepest. I would probably disagree with that. I think the ends are really good. I have questions about the tackles. If they're good against Oklahoma, that will change my mind. And I would be on board with saying Ohio State is the best defensive line in the country. And it's one of those things where I think it's possible. It's like I don't think there's any doubt that they're good. I don't know that there's any doubt that they're great. I just don't know if there's uh, uh, the question to me in this game is like, are they like win the game by themselves, dominant? Yeah. You know, like I think they could be like really good, and and uh, and Oklahoma still is effective. And it's like, wow, Ohio State's defensive line really got after Baker Mayfield, made it tough, and he just made unbelievable plays. Like that, I think is mm-hmm. actually, I think is it. Yeah. Um. So I'm very curious. I'm very curious to how they exploit the matchup, and you're going to break down that Mark Andrews uh, yeah. tight end later in the week. Make sure you guys watch for that. Bill's going to get into him. He's going to be really important. Um. I think Lincoln Riley is going to have some stuff. Um. Indiana had a good game plan. They didn't have the athletes to execute it for 60 minutes, but they had a good game plan. Lincoln Riley, the new Oklahoma coach who's been the offensive coordinator. And again, this is, you know, Urban Meyer gets asked about it. What's the, there's no difference. You know, Bob Stoops, whatever. I mean, he was a, he's a really good coach. He's a Hall of Fame coach. He's a national championship coach. But, like, in terms of how Oklahoma tries to execute a game plan, it's not going to be any different. No, coordinators are the same. So it is what it is. Um you know, does Bob does Bob Stoops do a better job of like getting them up? You know, the culture, build a program, that kind of stuff. I don't know. I mean, I think Oklahoma. I don't think that's going to have any. If I actually think Oklahoma has a better chance to win now that Bob Stoops is gone, than than having a worse chance to win. And that's not a slight on Bob Stoops, but everyone there was that time in his career where we called him Big Game Bob because they lost every big game. Um, he had a great career there, Oklahoma. He built that program, right? That's the hard part. Lincoln, it's built. Lincoln Riley doesn't have to build anything. Lincoln Riley got a fully formed championship-level program handed to him. And now they say, hey, young offensive mind, tweak it and make it a little bit better. And so if he, if Lincoln Riley always said, man, I wanted to really want to throw, I wanted to run the fumble ruski, and Bob Stoops never let me. <laughs> now he can run it. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I think, and I'm joking about that. But, I mean, I think, like, if you're Lincoln Riley, you're not holding anything back here. You know... You know what worked and didn't work last year. You know that you think you're the class of the Big 12, but that – and you know this. You know you can lose this game and get to the playoffs. You can lose this game and get to the national championship. Let it all hang out, brother. Yeah. So I think there's a better chance Oklahoma wins because you have a young offensive mind who's going to be let loose and might take more risks than a, than a more established coach would have in this situation. 
And he's been he and Baker Mayfield have been baking brownies and eating oatmeal cookies for eight months to get ready for it. So I agree with that. I just don't think the players are as good. He's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Maurice. Tim Bielek had to run out, but he's your, our guy, too. Follow us on Twitter. Read us all week at cleveland.com slash OSU. We always appreciate your questions on Twitter. At Doug Maurice at Bill Landis 25 uh, at Tim Bielek. Um we we dipped. We're 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 gonna. Tim has a story he wants to tell about taking a charge in flag football, which I don't even really understand. Um, I didn't know you could take a charge in flag football. I thought it was called just getting tackled. Yeah, I got a, a news alert from the New York Times over the weekend. Can I read? I didn't read the story. This is <laughs> my livelihood. The food that my family eats because people read stories online, <laughs> and I've just had like given ten examples of like, oh, I don't read stories online. <laughs> Um, it always is funny to me that's like the New York Times sends out this is a news alert the New York Times sent out on Sunday one last hurrah before the end of summer how about mashed potato salad grilled corn or fried chicken here's what to cook this week that's insane to me yeah but I want to there was like they, and then it's like and then it's like Hurricane Harvey it's like yeah okay um, and like North Korea oh here's this from the Washington Post on Saturday Fast food is out. Fast casual is in. Why the restaurant industry is focusing on speed, customization, and quality ingredients. I was like, is it 2004? (laughs) My life is fast casual food. Now, I quibble with the idea that fast food is out. Because when you have to get to interviews in 11 minutes, and you haven't eaten, you don't have time to go into Chipotle. But, I mean, fast casual, like, that's a newsflash? It It shouldn't be be now, Seriously, how no, important is fast casual food in your life? The three most important things in your life are your lovely uh, girlfriend Leah, uh-huh. doggo, uh-huh. and fast casual food. Yeah, and fast casual food, frankly, might be first. <laughs> Does she listen to this? Are oh. you in trouble? No, she just presses play and downloads it and then deletes it <laughs> because she's a good girlfriend. Um, so I was stunned by that as a news alert. I'm calling out the Washington Post on that. So Washington Post, you can come after us here on Buckeye Talk. But the idea that fast casual food is a breaking news alert is like... The reverse of that would be, would be breaking news. Fast casual is dying and, and uh, Arby's is on the rise. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, we'll get more into some fast casual. Listen, we got a month of lousy games ahead of us, unless Maryland actually is a real team. Yeah. We at least have three weeks of lousy games. The next three weeks might be like, uh, Army runs a triple option. And let's talk about uh, Zoop for 45 I've minutes. I've never been there. It's good. Do it live from Zoom. <laughs> All right. He's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Maurice, uh, Tim Bielek. Um, thanks to him. And uh, we will talk to you guys soon. After the game. Saturday night. Yeah, that's right. Saturday night, Oklahoma, Ohio State. We're doing, we're going to try it all year, post-game podcast. We did one after Indiana. It won't be as long as what we do during the week. So the plan is Wednesday podcast during the week, post-game podcast that will drop um, in the wee hours either Saturday night or Sunday morning. But when you get up Sunday morning and you need something to listen to, um, listen to about a half-hour breakdown of what just happened between Ohio State and Oklahoma. Thanks to you guys. That was Buckeye Talk.